This is Dialogue with Drake and Dabu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Dabu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. This is the last episode of Dialogue Season 1 before we come back in the fall with more special guests, discussions, topics, and beer recommendations. Now, before that, today, we're chatting about Pride on Prince Edward Island. The month of June is typically celebrated by the 2SLGBTQIA community as Pride Month, in commemoration of the Stonewall Riots on June 28, 1969. These riots, which occurred at the Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village of New York City, occurred as a result of police raids at the inn, where a number of people from the 2SLGBTQIA community were apprehended. This was a watershed moment marking a turning point from covert existence to the start of active mainstream activism in the 2SLGBTQIA community. As a result, every June, Pride Month is celebrated around the world to acknowledge the progress that has been made since Stonewall, advocate for more inclusive policies, and celebrate various gender identities and sexualities. On PEI, Pride Week is typically held in the month of July with myriad celebrations and workshops. Despite the evolution of the movement thus far, work remains to be done. On June 11, 2021, reports emerged of homophobic incidents at East Wilshire Intermediate School here in Cornwall, PEI, where some students dressed in black were said to be harassing those wearing pride colors In addition, a bill to ban conversion therapy in Canada was not voted on in time in the Senate, thus pending being tabled again until September 20th when the Senate reconvenes. To chat with us today about all things Pride on PEI, including Pride Week, necessary work on 2SLGBTQIA plus inclusion, conversion therapy, and more, is Board Game Geek, Oxford comma supporter, and Director of Advocacy with Pride PEI. Andrea McPherson. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Our first official question for you is, how are you? Uh, I, I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited to, to get to be a part of this. I've heard uh, a lot of great things uh, about uh, your podcast and, and I've gotten to listen to a few uh, and uh, I, I love the, the, the way you approach everything and, and how personable everything is. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to chat with you guys about uh, a few of the things about uh, about, uh, Pride PEI and the 2SLGBTQIA community on PEI. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And and we're just so thankful to have you here with us. It's an honor. (laughs) Now, our first question to get into um, the more serious side of things is, Andrea, you are a director with Pride PEI. Tell us a little bit about your role and what Pride PEI is. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a director with Pride PEI, and uh, I, I've been with Pride, volunteering with them for about three years now. I started off as director of advocacy, and, and for the last two years, I've mostly been uh, the secretary, so the, the note keeper of the official records. Uh, what Pride PEI is, uh, it, it's a group designed to advocate and, and support uh, the 2SLGBTQI plus community on PEI. Um, the, the high point is often seen as the Pride Festival uh, in, the, in the latter half of the summer, but uh, we've been working really hard to make sure that everyone knows that uh, we're Pride uh, 52 weeks of the year, and we've had, uh, a, a, we try to have a, a lot of events throughout the year for, that are information sessions and, and uh, 
in ways to help the community uh, feel seen and, and feel supported by uh, all manners of organizations across the island. And, and so to that end, we uh, often are trying to work behind the scenes to, to improve uh, access and to improve uh, community members' experience with various organizations across the island, be they government uh, or schools or even just uh, local businesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really like what you said about, you know, there's bright uh, 52 weeks a year. Um, as part of, you know, the information collection that the organization does in April of this year, Pride PI held town halls in Summerside and Charlottetown to engage with Islanders and ensure that the work continues to align with the needs of the community members across PEI. From these town halls and from other consultations on the ground, uh, what has been the feedback that has been received with regards to the needs of the community on, on PEI? Yeah, uh, we are actually quite pleased with the with the turnout at, at our two town halls this year. Um, we we trying to have three to four town halls every year. Um, last year was uh, particularly difficult because of the of the pandemic restrictions, and we had a couple of virtual ones. Um, but uh, so we, we approached uh, this year with a bit of um, trepidation that we we weren't sure how easy it would be to get people out, but um, we were very pleased to see the the turnout at both Summerside and Charlton, not just from uh, people who have uh, longstanding relationships with Pride PEI, but newcomers to the island. Uh, we, there was quite a few people that were new to the island who were looking to find out how they can connect with uh, the 2S LGBTQIA plus community. Um, so we we're very glad to have them out. Um, the, the I would say the biggest uh, uh, need most people in the community have is uh, being able to feel connected to the community. Um, It's not necessarily always well known, but Pride PEI is in a bit of a unique position, if not uh, just in Canada, but possibly in all of North America, that we're one of the possibly only Pride that covers an entire uh, province as opposed to just one city, uh, which makes it, uh, we have some unique challenges for addressing uh, the needs of our community. because it's it's harder to get services and representation and get feedback from community members who don't live uh, inside the main centers, um, and and so that's one of the big reasons why we try to have uh, these kind of town halls outside of Charlottetown as much as we can. We haven't in the past been able to get as many out, but uh, this year we were able to get out to Summerside, and uh, we've been pitching to get some uh, out in Montague and possibly even as as far out west as. Uh, O'Leary or even Tignish. And then we have virtual ones when we can, uh, because we want to be able to reach the community and make sure that they can reach us in in a safe Mm -hmm. way. So that, that, that's the biggest need is people trying to figure out how can they get a, con- a hold of Pride and really they want to know how can Pride help them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Pride's work, unfortunately, does happen to land in Charlottetown. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, that is where we have most of our volunteer base and, and that's oftentimes the, the, the most uh, convenient uh, accessible location, but it, it really can't be the only location. So uh, it's it's really upon it's it's something that we're continually striving to do better to connect with uh, community members who are outside of Charlottetown to say we, we we're here for you too, uh, and, and we're trying to find out what you need, and and that's why we have these uh, town halls outside of Charlottetown when we can. Um, beyond just that those needs, uh, the biggest thing is uh, a lo- it's a lot of feedback that 
uh, almost everyone, even those not in uh, in the 2SLGBTQI plus community field, need for uh, mental health supports, um, home ho housing supports, various okay. uh, things like that. Just the, the stuff we need to get by on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so building up uh, the, the education base of uh, mental health supports and uh, uh, family physicians and like mm -hmm. to what needs they need or, or what training they need to be able to properly support their 2SLGBTQI plus uh, members uh, dealing with uh, schools so that we can show them like this is how you need to accommodate your 2SLGBTQI plus students um, and staff because there's a lot of times staff that don't feel supported. Mm -hmm. So those are, are, are the biggest things. But uh, we also got quite a bit of feedback on uh, intersectionalism. So um, mm. aligning better with uh, the local uh, BIPOC communities. Um, it's something we've been striving on for years and we recognize that we still have a lot to work on and we're trying to make um, make all of our events feel safer for uh, the local uh, BIPOC community. Um, we realize we've made mistakes in the past um, mm. and, and we're trying to acknowledge those and, and work to get better at those. Um, and to that end, we're, we're appreciative of, of the, the work uh, that uh, the Black Cultural Society and BIPOC Usher have uh, mm -hmm. uh, contacted with us and, and they're looking forward to uh, helping us uh, make our own uh, our own events safer for the BIPOC community. So that, that was another uh, a strong piece of feedback coming in. And, and, and just generally expanding pride to be more than the uh, serving the, 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 for lack of a better word, stereotypical uh, white queer in the ages of 20 to 30. Um, there's mm -hmm. lots of people that are, are younger than that, lots of people older, and the stereotype of uh, a pride group just sitting at a bar drinking and dancing doesn't fit with what a lot of people want uh, in this day and age. Um, so we started making some of those changes last year. We had a great pride talk about sobriety and pride um, mm -hmm. that was very well received and, and uh, uh, in part because of the pandemic, but we were pretty pleased that last year, uh, almost all the events at our Pride Festival last year were dry. And even this year, uh, quite a few of the events are also shaping up to be dry events to really oh. support that part of the community. Um, it, it's not that if we don't want to, we can't be completely dry because some people do still enjoy that, but we want to make sure that people feel welcome, even if they're not uh, wanting to drink. Um, so we've got a lot of uh, family events planned. We've got a lot of uh, uh, just social events that don't center around uh, just uh, drinking and dancing for those people who uh, want to be with their community, but not, and still not uh, uh, just fall into those, uh, those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much to, to, to pull from that answer. That was Wow, it was so interesting. Like your first point around how Pride PEI is in such a unique position, how in comparison to, for example, comparison to like Pride Montreal or Pride Halifax, like, you know, that's a very 
you know, small kind of scope in terms of the geographical area. Um, obviously, a lot of people, but, you know, in comparison to Pride PEI, you folks are responsible for an entire province. And, you know, doing town halls like you folks have been doing is a lot harder when you're trying to balance, you know, urban and rural areas, um, as well as access to different, um, you know, internet is still a huge issue, add in the COVID piece. So kudos to you folks. I, I, I never, I think, considered that until you just mentioned it, but that sounds extremely challenging. And you folks have such a great presence that it's it's even more amazing because of that kind of provincial scope. So, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> Um, and I also want to pick up on another point that you have mentioned, Andrea, was you folks were hearing things at town halls around education, and that really fits into our next question. So uh, for listeners, on Friday, June 11th, Pride PEI put out an open letter, and this was specifically to the attention of a number of different folks, but I'll just list off a couple, one of them being uh, Premier Dennis King, as well as uh, Leader of the Opposition, Peter Bevan Baker, as well as third-party representative, or third-party leader, excuse me, um, Sunny Gallant, um, and as well uh, the Minister of Education and Lifelong Learning, Natalie Jameson, among many others. And this was specifically in relation to um, the East Wilshire Pride incident. Uh, so our first question on this is, tell us a little bit more about this incident and what happened. So uh, that, that, that week, um, uh, the week of uh, June 10th, so that's Thursday, June 10th, uh, East Wilshire had their Spirit Week, which is, uh, uh, our, it's, it's kind of an annual event just for, for kids to kind of uh, blow off a lot of their energy at the end of the year to uh, do all sorts of stuff and and really feel like uh, they're having a bit of fun at school. So that week, the Thursday, June 10th was designated uh, Pride and Rainbow Days and, and students were encouraged to wear rainbows and, and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, it wasn't explicitly uh, called out as a 2S LGBTQI plus day, um, but the the, the impression was that that was what it's for. They used all the hallmarks of, of calling it pride and rainbows and, and uh, allowing students to put up uh, pride rainbows and all such throughout the school. And, and leading up to it, uh, there was a, a, a group of students who uh, uh, organized themselves to attend that day dressed all in black um, and to, uh, uh, they were pulling down these posters and confronting any students who weren't dressed all in black um, wow. uh, confronting them and, and demanding whether or not they support the gays. Uh, and so anyone who wasn't dressed in all black was, was confronted uh, very aggressively about this. And, and, and it was known leading up to this day that this was, was being planned and that several students went to the administration and, and teachers and the response at the time was, well, kids, will, kids are like that. Mm. Uh, and so on the day of, uh, a lot of students uh, really felt attacked about by it um a lot of students felt uh, exposed that the, the school had essentially kind of encouraged them to to be themselves for a day even if that they're a little bit cautious about it but uh, a lot of students felt like they could be themselves that day and kind of express their pride in, in being mm -hmm. to us lgbtqi plus and and then these students were allowed to uh, uh cause uh, spread their, their homophobic hatred throughout the school, tearing down this and, and making everyone who 
was feeling, uh, had been feeling pride in themselves, feeling very uh, traumatized and attacked by these by these events. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and and, and it, a lot of parents, I, I mean, PEI is, um, it, it's it's it does have some guidelines for how schools should handle um, these kind of events and and, and such, but uh, the. The big issue is that they're just guidelines, uh, exactly. and, and there's very there's no teeth behind them, yep. and there's no uh, real uh, measures for how to enforce them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the the context uh, for us writing this letter was also that, that just earlier in June, on, on June 1st, the the province had released uh, released their draft guidelines for uh, respecting uh, gender identity and gender expression and mm-hmm. sexual orientation in our schools. Um, and they were looking, seeking feedback on it, which really uh, beefed up the uh, the guidelines that they currently had in the system. Mm-hmm. And, and overall, um, a lot of people are quite pleased with these guidelines. They are heavily based on similar guidelines from Alberta, um, and and they are uh, uh, fairly well thought out um, in a lot of ways. Um, and and we're uh, pretty pleased with them uh, that. They they recognize that you do have to approach a lot of uh, a lot of two SLGBTQI plus students on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but our concern and, and uh, this was a concern shared, uh, but we shared ahead of time um, just in general. And then this the event at East Wildshire kind of made it more poignant. Yeah. Um, it was that uh, there was nothing no again no teeth behind this there was no metrics for how do you evaluate whether or not you're meeting these guidelines or not um the the issue in a lot of schools on pei is that you're very much at the whim of the administration of a given school as to how your experience as a 2slgbtqi plus student will be mm-hmm. um you could, if you have a great administration your experience can go phenomenal and then you go one block down the road to another school and it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the, the public schools branch has a lot of guidelines, um, but very few of them are actually made into policies where there's ex- explicit mm-hmm. metrics for this is what you have to be able to do. And, and these are the consequences for not meeting them. Mm-hmm. And, and we really felt that uh, uh, like the, these guidelines, they're a great start, but uh, PEI uh, is, is is in a bit of uh, uh, it, it's small, but it, it's get that size gives it a, quite a few advantages. Um, that for one, much like Pride PEI, kind of covers the whole province. Our public schools branch is the only English schools branch for the entire island. It's so uh, whereas in a lot of other provinces, you have to um, compromise between the needs of all the various different. Uh, public education branches, whether be they uh, secular or Catholic or Protestant or, or various school boards that cover various areas. PEI has the one English school board that covers the whole island. Exactly. So you've got a lot more flexibility on or a lot more weight behind making sure that that is delivered. Uh, the experience is the same across the entire province. And so we're, we're, we're really encouraging the province to really push that part of the guidelines to make them more into policies so that we can guarantee that students have the same experience regardless of what school they're actually going to. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's exactly what you folks, I think, really expanded upon in the open letter was the first recommendation was around, you know, these new guidelines are great, but exactly to what you're saying, they don't have the teeth and they don't have kind of the, the real uh, weight behind them that a policy does. And, and looking at transforming that those guidelines into policy and with quote explicit means for enforcement and consequences for those schools that fail to support their 2SLGBTQIA plus students. So um, that I think was made extremely clear in the open letter. Um, and then the second piece just kind of building off that and what you've been saying was around a recommendation on funding to deliver mental health supports for those 2SLGBTQIA plus students. Um, and specifically at those schools to direct them to create uh, what a lot of folks would know as GSAs uh, here on PEI, also known as Gender and Sexuality Alliances uh, groups within the schools. And then that third recommendation, um, just education in general around gender identities, gender expression, uh, sexual orientations, and, and ensuring that is within the curriculum in school. So um, those recommendations were very clear in this open letter and and really, I think, you know, make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, for your folks' experiences with Pride PEI, how, how do you feel that the implementation of these very clear recommendations would impact the experiences of those two LGBTQIA plus students? Well, it, it's, I, I, I mean, I think there'll be game changes there, uh, particularly as compared to when I was in school on the island, uh, quite a few schools now do have uh, gender and sexuality alliance groups, but uh, a lot of schools are, are hesitant to run them because they feel they really do, although they need to be student led, they do need the support of at least some level of the staff and administrations. And a lot of schools, if they don't have uh, any uh, 2SLGBTQI plus staff themselves, they can feel hesitant to run this because they feel like they might be uh, stepping on a minefield essentially, or, or they, they don't want to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so th there really needs to be, uh, this is one of the reasons why we really want uh, more funding to be put around mm -hmm. them so that we can teach students or teach staff that like, you don't have to be a member of the 2SLGBTQI plus community to be supportive of one of these uh, mm -hmm. gender and sexual alliance groups. Um, it's because they're really about making a safe space for students and, and letting the students uh, share their thoughts and feelings in that kind of sense. Um, and that kind of goes hand in hand with the funding towards mental health. Um, yeah. PEI has made great strides uh, in the last couple of years uh, with their student well-being teams. Yes. And it's a coordinated effort to get mental health professionals into the schools and help students on, on that basis. Um, and so there is a they are getting some uh, training around uh, 2SLGBTQI plus issues, but uh, we really want there to be kind of dedicated funding so it's not slipping in there as, as kind of an afterthought because yep. uh, it, it's uh, particularly when it comes to uh, identity-based bullying. Um, mm. uh, it, it, certainly all forms of bullying are, are awful and need to be combated, but identity-based bullying is, is a particularly pernicious uh, subject because it's not even, it's not unnecessarily directed uh, at a particular person, it's directed at a community. And mm. so people can feel, can be affected by it without explicitly being the target of those incidents. And this is, for example, what happened at East, East Wilshire. Uh, some students were directly accosted, 
but the effect of that the, that bullying hit far more people than that group of students all in black far more than their homophobic chanting could get to in a single thing because everyone who saw that or heard about it was also affected by it realizing okay if i'm myself people might confront me Mm-hmm. And so that kind of identity-based bullying—that's that's what uh, uh, drives uh, students uh, back in the closet, makes them uh, feel uh, ashamed of themselves when there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, it makes them feel like they have to hide who they are because they don't want to be targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we we really need uh, extra training for these student well-being teams to be able to identify uh, when those situations are arising in schools and, and how to support all students, even ones who may not feel, who may not be uh, obviously that they're being explicitly targeted, but uh, really any student, uh, it, it, they could be getting targeted because maybe they're not 2S LGBTQI+, but maybe their family is someone, mm-hmm. they're a brother, a sister, a, a parent, a cousin, a friend, any of those sure. uh, close friendships, can, they can still feel targeted because they're supporting them either themselves or, or their friends and family and being who they are authentically. And, and this kind of identity-based bullying really can target them and make them feel like they have to shut down and, and not be as open in their own support or be as open as who they are authentically. So you, you need a lot of training to be able to make those students feel comfortable in, in school. I mean, I, ideally, the whole school would be a safer location for them. Absolutely. But s- setting up these kind of gender and sexual alliance groups is at least a start to like set up a almost a, a core of here's a safe space uh, where we can kind of uh, strengthen each other, and then you can use that strength to make the rest of the school uh, a safer location. Mm-hmm. And and that leads into uh, the education about gender identities and gender expression and sexual orientation. Um, because a lot of that stuff is is not taught in schools at any level. Um, and uh, again, getting back to the, a, a lot of teachers, uh, a lot of teachers don't feel comfortable teaching this material because they may not be a member of the 2SLGBTQI plus community themselves. And again, they're, they're worried about uh, saying it wrong or, or uh, or angering parents. Um, and th- this is actually uh, something that, that's come up a, a lot. Um, one of the things that people don't necessarily realize is that teachers are allowed to invite in members of the community at large to help teach certain aspects if they want. Um, so there have been schools across the island that have invited in uh, peers or, or various other groups of volunteers uh, at, at various grade levels. I've helped participate in some all the way from uh, grade four and five students all the way up to grade oh, wow. nine students just going in for uh, a day for an afternoon and, and, and talking about gender expressions and gender identities and sexual orientations. And, and it can be taught appropriately at, at all curriculum levels. But uh, a lot of teachers, uh, although they know they can do this, they're afraid to do it because mm. um, there's, al- there's always the chance of some sort of uh, parental backlash against them. And then it's really up to whether or not the uh, administration or the public schools branch will back them up saying, yes, you're allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. And when they can't get uh, explicit confirmation that the administration or the public school branch will back them up, a lot of these teachers are too afraid to invite in anyone from the 2SLGBTQI plus community to talk because they're afraid, the teachers are afraid, I want to be supportive, but I might be left out on to dry if I don't have yeah. explicit affirmative posit- uh, support from uh, the administration or, or public schools branch. And so that's getting back to having 
that funding explicitly set up for that in these guidelines and making them policy that there's funding there uh, shows that explicit support that these teachers may be needing that so that even if they don't know everything about the 2SLGBTQI plus identities themselves, they know I have explicit support, uh, there's funding behind that I can get someone in to help talk about it. Uh, so so that that's really why we want to bring that in there. And uh, now we realize that uh, these guidelines that the province is currently looking for uh, aren't meant to cover the curriculum themselves. There's a separate mm. uh, group going on right now that's working on the gender identity and gender expression and sexual orientation curricula. Um, mm. And uh, I don't know the timeline on that, but I'm hoping uh, soon because it's always needed. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But so so we I, I, we recognize that this isn't it, um, and this wasn't in, these guidelines weren't intended to be it. So we're not calling out the fact that there's nothing in this particular document that, but this is kind of the document that kind of sets up make sure that all that when you are creating those curricula that you put the supports in that the teachers can get informed about those curricula changes because there's no point in making the curriculum if if you can't deliver it to the teachers. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that, and if they, because if the teachers can't get it, then then they can't get it to the students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, agree with just everything <laughs> you covered right there. Um, wow, <laughs> uh, just just to follow up on the the letter piece, because there there's one thing you mentioned earlier about when it is identity based bullying and what you had said, maybe it's not directed at one specific person, but because that they're part of that community or they're uh, an ally within that community, it then impacts them. And we saw that actually as a direct response to the East Wilshire Pride incident where uh, so many folks, part of the community, allies in the community showed up and, and were out in front of East Wilshire, had lots of pride flags, and were just really demonstrating that solidarity and support for those students and I thought that was such a beautiful I think reaction from community um, but what has been the response like uh, you know on this letter from both community but as well the decision makers that it was specifically directed at has there been any follow-up that you folks have experienced uh, I'm actually quite pleased with the follow-up that we've gotten from administration um, mm -hmm. it's uh, we've had a couple of meetings with uh, uh, public schools branch and uh, uh, Minister Jameson, uh, mm -hmm. and and it, they really came into those meetings wanting to listen, um, oh, good. And, and 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 accepting that these events happened, uh, mm -hmm. and so that was our, our biggest thing, that uh, uh, they weren't being defensive about it for the most part. Um, they're recognizing that these things happened. We're not doing enough. Please tell us what we can do better because we want to do better. Um, and and so uh, the, the, both of the both the minister Jameson and, and the, the director of public schools branch and the director of student services, um, they they were all uh, in these meetings, and and they really come. You can tell they're coming from a place of being allies, um, mm -hmm. but they are fighting against a system that has historically not been a system of support. Mm -hmm. So uh, they are fighting against uh, the, the kind of the inertia of a system that's not explicitly supportive of, of 2SLGBTQI plus students. So we recognize that it, it takes some time to get these changes in place. But uh, the fact that they they listened to us and, and, and took the time to understand what was going on and that they 
uh, I was really pleased that they changed their response as they learned more. Um, uh, like we sent the letter on Friday mm. and on Saturday, the, the, uh, the response was that the school itself was going to be investigating the situation. And we thought that was pretty inappropriate because the school itself was one of the, uh, 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 or one of the, those involved in, in perpetuating this by their, uh, inaction. Absolutely. Then by Sunday, it was the public schools branch itself that was going to be leading the investigation, not the school. Mm. And then by Monday, they had announced that they had hired a an independent third-party consultant uh, who was uh, from the BIPOC community, who was from the 2SLGBTQA plus community, and who has trauma-informed education to lead the investigation. So uh, that uh, change in the response as they learned more was very encouraging that mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't just pick a response and stick with it. They said, okay, this is what we heard. So we'll go, like, it, it, I get that it's their policy. Like, okay, the first step is normally the school should investigate. But as they learned more, they realized, okay, it's inappropriate for the school to investigate. Should we do it? And then mm-hmm. learned, okay, this is a bit bigger than what we can handle. Let's get, bring in someone who's, this is kind of their whole training around doing it. And they can be, they've come in with the, the training and the experience to know how to relate to these students. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was very encouraging that that they were willing to listen and to change the response as they learned more information. Um, and, and so uh, it, it's it's a bit, uh, uh, th- there's a bit of a, a chatter of the community is like, well, why haven't they had any responses yet? But um, these things, the, these investigations do take time. So our understanding is that the last couple of weeks since that event has happened has been the, the investigator, uh, she's been, uh, consulting with the students of East Wiltshire. So trying to get them all before they leave for the summer. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to spend some time in viewing and, and talking with the teachers and the administration of the school. So it's mm-hmm. going to take us some time for her to gather all her information and build a report. So uh, we're not saying there has to be an instant response or an instant report on this. That That's uh, not reasonable, but we have to give them time to, to do this. But we've also said that it's also very important that once the report is done, that the report itself has to be made public so the community can see, yes, we're okay with, uh, we understand that these are reasonable responses that the public schools branch is making and these are the changes and, and these are the repercussions of them. Mm-hmm. So that it, it's kind of that uh, trust but verify. Like I'm very encouraged with the background of the person doing the investigation. So uh, I feel confident in that, but also, uh, I, I don't also don't expect everyone to just believe my word that I trust her. So yeah. once her response, once her investigation is done, it's very important for that report to be uh, made as, as public as possible so that people can read it and see, yes, this seems like it was the appropriate response for what happened. And these are the appropriate uh, uh, recommendations for how do we try and prevent this such a thing from happening again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that was uh all very encouraging. In fact, the only response that we were slightly uh, concerned about was from the PEI Teachers Federation itself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that I think was a result of how the Teachers Federation is uh, set up in that it represents both administrations and teachers. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems uh, awkward considering sometimes administration and teachers uh, have conflicting uh needs in the workplace so um but yeah so the teachers federation response definitely felt more defensive um and uh uh essentially the won't someone think of the teachers 
um, when uh, I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're, I, I don't want to target teachers needlessly, but um, uh, we entrust our, our kids to schools. Uh, uh, this is supposed to be their safer, a safe space for them where they can learn. And so if the school is exposing them to these sorts of situations, um, you can't really take the school's opinion that, well, most people were fine with it. Because the, the schools can't be a place where just most people are fine with it. It really needs to be a safer space for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and it, it reeks of uh, privilege when someone says, like, well, we didn't see it. Or mm-hmm. most students said they were fine. It's like, well, yep. the, the ones who are already attacked by these kind of incidents, they're not about to go speaking up to see you and say, like, I don't feel good about this because they were already attacked. They didn't, they're not going to put their neck out again because they already saw that you didn't show support for them. So... But uh, at the from the, at the public schools branch and at the Department of Education's uh, level, uh, mm-hmm. we got uh, we got some great uh, response from them about them wanting to listen, wanting to learn, and and definitely wanting to consult with us uh, uh, both at uh, Pride PEI and with peers and with the Good. PEI Trans Network in the future to say, look, we want to make this our schools safer for the 2SLGBTQI plus community. Um, we're going to do what we can and we're going to bounce our ideas off off you so we can make sure that we're going to make these as, as safe as we can mm-hmm. so that that's certainly encouraging mm-hmm. absolutely and you know it's really good to hear that so much progress has been made in such a short amount of time for instance with uh, you know the report being developed by an independent third party with you know meetings having already occurred with different peoples in positions of leadership so I know definitely we'll be keeping an eye out as well to see how the situation evolves over the next few months and you know what changes happen going forward. Uh, talking about making spaces safer, uh, last week members of parliament voted 263 to 63 to pass Bill C6, which was an amendment to the criminal code. Um, this proposes five criminal offenses, uh, which include forcing a minor to undergo conversion therapy, forcing a person to to undergo conversion therapy against their will, profiting of uh, providing conversion therapy, advertising conversion therapy, or removing a child from Canada to undergo conversion therapy abroad. Um, This bill was first introduced in the House of Commons in March of 2020. And then after Parliament was prorogued, it was reintroduced in October of 2020. Now, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what is conversion therapy and what kind of harm has it done, you know, in PEI in Canada? So conversion therapy, uh, it, it goes under several different names, such as reparative therapy or uh, uh, re- I've heard re- reindication therapy. And it's basically a, a, a means of coercively trying to convince someone that they're not uh, a member of the 2SLGBTQI plus community. Um, uh, and it can involve uh, a, like aversion therapy where uh People are essentially zapped or, or have some sort of negative experience, uh, attempt to be linked when they think of uh, anything positive about the 2SLGBTQI plus community, or um, for, for lack of a better word, brainwashing people into, into mm-hmm. uh, thinking negative thoughts uh, about it. And, and it's, it's, it's quite harmful. They're almost... Uh, Every major psychological association in the world, from uh, the Canadian Psychiatric Association, World Health Organization, American Psychiatric Association, um, all these groups recognize that it is a it is a harmful treatment, and it's there's no science backing it to say that uh, these sorts of things, uh, uh, this sort of therapy, uh, so-called therapy, does have any effect uh, 
on uh, curing people because you quite frankly can't cure people someone of being a member of the 2SLGBTQI plus community. Mm -hmm. um, the, the difficulty in it, uh, while I'm quite pleased that these bills are passed, uh, the difficulty behind it is in identifying when these things are being taken place because very few places advertise themselves as saying we do conversion therapy um there's a lot of times it's um uh, I, I don't want to uh malign it but a lot of times there's a uh, fundamental religious backing behind these yes. and they're just pitched as oh this is just a religious summer camp yep. and, and and so uh a lot of the times unless some unless a survivor of one of those camps comes out and speaks up um, you may not know that that was going on there. So uh, I, I'm very glad that these bills are passed. Um, it will make it easier to uh, prosecute any offenders that come up. Um, but uh, it, it's it's hard to identify what is a conversion therapy ahead of time, like I said, because very few places say, this is what we do. They say, no, we're just helping people be who they should be. A and they couch it in very pleasant language yep. which makes it hard to to identify and uh, so it, it's it's really it's not until you've discovered someone who's uh survived it or, or well i say survived loosely because a lot of times these sorts of uh, therapies cause long-lasting mental trauma to mm -hmm. to these people that um as just any sort of uh, uh trauma mental trauma would where the people mm -hmm. are forced to behave against what they are to they're forced to believe that um, who they are is is uh, innately uh, bad innately sinful and uh, uh, innately offensive when really they just need to be be allowed to be authentically who they are mm -hmm. so it, it, it's hard to identify that and it was kind of we pointed it out at the time when uh, when it was talked about on PEI um, there was a lot of statements by the government at the time, like we're, we're, they were proud to say that there are no instances of this being done on PEI for the last couple of years. And we were like, well, yes, it is being done here. It's just not being called <laughs> conversion therapy. It's very hard yeah. to, to mm -hmm. identify it. So, but having these, uh, these laws banning them and, and uh, explicitly calling out, like so I was very glad to see C6 kind of laid out several uh, instances of it um for you there was a lot of stuff that that would normally be hard to catch so like for example the the one uh when someone uh taking someone abroad that's normally very hard to advertise because like how, how do you stop someone if, if the conversion therapy isn't happening in canada if they're mm -hmm. taking on a, a trip somewhere else how do, how do you stop that because we have no control over what happens elsewhere but so they they recognize that this is a potential thing that could happen so if you do take someone abroad for it that itself isn't is uh, is being made illegal with this with this uh, bill C6. So I'm glad that they recognize that there is a lot of different factors that these th that conversion therapy could happen. Um, but it really the the crux of it will be that um, that still will make it hard to identify when it has occurred. Um, mm -hmm. But having so many things in the books will, I hope, make people who have are survivors of conversion therapy feel like they will get justice if they come forward to identify that it has happened. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, you know, you put forward something that I wasn't even thinking about, which is just how masked it is and how much, you know, you don't realize what's going on until it's actually happening. Uh, looking at, you know, PEI specifically, though, of course, PEI has had a ban on funding conversion therapy for over a year now. 
Um, what changes, if any, have you observed before and after the passing of that particular legislation? Uh, honestly, I, I I haven't seen much, um, and, and, and I and and I, I chalk that up not to the fact that it's not here, but that it's so hard to find. Um, uh, so I I certainly believe that it's still here, um, and and I think it's it's like I, I I've used the word uh, uh, pernicious and, and insidious before because it 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 very much tries to reinvent itself and slip under uh, slip under the radar. But uh, ha having bans on advertising it um, does make it harder um, to make this in it, but it does slip it to kind of a word of mouth situation. And, and, and that's, that makes it when it is word of mouth, it is hard to find it. Um, it's, it's happening in private Facebook groups. It's happening in, uh, 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 religious camps. It's happening in in kind of organizations, uh, just kind of uh, various uh, local parent organizations around the province, where they're trying to handle this stuff at, at a very quiet level, um, and they're doing it not just because of laws against it, but they're also doing it because uh, to these people, it's shameful to be a member, for someone to be a member of the 2SLGBQI plus community. And so they don't want to be allowed about it themselves because they don't want other people to think that they're a member of the community. So they, they mm -hmm. want to be very, slide things under. And, and that kind of speaks for a lot of the homophobia and transphobia, biphobia on such right. on PEI in general. Um, there's the occasional instance of someone being very loud about it, like those boys at East Wiltshire. Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of that kind of uh, homophobia on PEI very much is a, we don't talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and, and that can be more insidious because then you don't know if someone is supportive or, or not. Um, mm -hmm. When it's, when someone is very vocal, being a very vocal home, homophobe, um, you can know, okay, I'll just avoid that person. But it's sometimes the the quiet ones who aren't saying anything for or against that can be the most dangerous because they could turn on you at a moment's notice. And uh, so that's why it, a, a lot of the people who are engaged in it uh, try and do it under the table as well, not just to avoid any laws against it, but because they're afraid of their community turning on them as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, I haven't heard that there's been much improvement in it. But at the same time, I haven't heard that it's that it's gotten worse. Um, mm. So it, it's it's hard to say. And it's only been about, uh, I think you said, yeah, a little over a year that it, it was, uh, I believe it came into passage. Uh, I was on the Trans Day of Remembrance in 2019. So mm. about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And uh, so th that's, uh, it, it's, I'm not entirely sure yet if that's been enough time to really uh, see what has happened, particularly with the pandemic last year, yes. also mm -hmm. potentially having shut down so much stuff or driven so many things into online spaces where it's much harder to harder, detect yeah. if the stuff is happening. So mm -hmm. uh, I unfortunately think we're, it's going to be another couple of years before we really see uh, if the, the PEI bill and, and then the C6, uh, if these bills will really have uh, the effect that we really need them to have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think too, um, looking forward to that like you said the the impacts of being a survivor of conversion therapy is is you know experiencing these long-term ongoing day-to-day -day challenges with having experienced that 
that level of trauma and I think likewise to see kind of the the genuine repairs on the type of damage those services can have I think likewise with the with both the PEI and federal approach um, I think we'll be patient and, and hopefully see positive results from that Mm-hmm. On a later and, and much more exciting note, um, the PEI Pride Festival is coming up very soon, July 18th to 25th. Um, now, two very important questions. What types of events can listeners expect and where can they follow to learn more about them? Well, uh, this year uh, we're uh kind of trying something a, a little bit different, um, particularly in light of uh, still having some COVID restrictions on it. Uh, in previous years, we've always tried to have, uh, wherever we had event, we tried to say, uh, almost tried to get the entire island to come to one event. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, uh, we're, we're realizing that that's, that's not really feasible. And even mm-hmm. with most of the island, hopefully getting vaccinated soon. Um, so this year, what we're really approaching it is maybe a couple of big events, but having a lot of amazing small events. So uh, if we could have 10, 15 people show up to an event in Charlton at the same night, we're having 10, 15 people up in Summerside yeah. and then another 10, 15 people up in Montague. That's to us going to be a, a success this year. So we, we've got a lot of our, our uh, traditional uh, events like our flag raisings, church services, um, uh, uh, our pride talk series. We've got some amazing pride talks lined up mm. uh, for some great panels and some discussions. Um, we're looking forward to having quite a bit, few more Pride Unplugged uh, video sessions. So we are going to get some local to us LGBTQ artists, get them in a studio, get them to, to really show us their best stuff so that we can share it online. And, mm. and, and we've had great response to those in the past. Uh, we're working with uh, the Guild. Uh, they're doing a, we're getting a couple of queens over from Halifax and a couple of local <laughs> queens and kings to do some a drag show, a couple of drag shows, and maybe even have a little drag workshop because there's lots of oh, young cool. folks on the island who are really looking forward to to learning how to get into that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we've got a couple of uh, movie nights lined up. We've got one we're working on one at the drive-through, and we're also um, uh, on, on the on the Saturday. Uh, we're, we're known for having our, our pride after dark in the evening, uh, a big party for that. But we also realize that, you know, a, a big dance party isn't for everyone, mm. uh, particularly those who have kids. So we're also looking at having uh, a, a big uh, family movie night on the Saturday okay. night too, so that uh, mm. people with families can go to the family night. And then people who feel like uh, getting up and dancing can go to the pride after dark. <laughs> um, and we are, uh, we've gotten a lot of people asking about, uh, if there's going to be a parade this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're changing that up a little bit this year. Last year, we had a really cool uh, Pride on the Waves, but this year we're looking at more of having a march as opposed to a parade. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, people may wonder what the the difference there is. And, and really, the uh, there's been uh, a lot of uh, pent-up emotion and, and uh, that has been going on lately uh, about uh, uh, people's... Uh, uh, all the various marginalized communities on the island uh, and across Canada and the world that have really been uh, feeling attacked. So uh, we're really looking more at having a, a march to kind of bring awareness to these various issues that are affecting the local 2 LGBTQI plus community, particularly when it comes to intersectionalist stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, BIPOC issues uh, and uh, disability rights issues um, when it comes mm-hmm. to education, uh, 
elder care. There's so many issues out there. So we really want to have a, a march and, and get people to, to show what issues speak to them. And we're, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, that, that also makes it a little easier when we're dealing with uh, public health restrictions around the pandemic, because when it's a march rather than a parade, uh, we don't have to worry about floats. We don't really have to worry about uh, an audience lining the street where we have to have uh, exclusion zones and hand sanitize everywhere. It's We can set people up so that everyone marches uh, with their masks on. They can have mm -hmm. their own signs, but everyone is spaced out as they have a march. And then we can, we're hoping to have a couple of uh, speeches at the end uh, highlighting some of the most pressing issues that we see going on right now. So we're really looking more towards a, a march as opposed to a parade, do that mm -hmm. sense. Um, we've got... Uh, uh, we're hoping to really work on our, our instead of we've traditionally had a pride in the park, but we really want to try to take the vendors and set up an entire market expo cool. where we can get a lot of people uh, and it's kind of almost anyone who has anything to do with the uh, 2S LGBTQI spectrum can showcase their wares or uh, anything that might be a benefit to the 2S LGBTQI plus community. Uh, we're looking at having like a, a garden parties and high teas to kind of again get in the the end of end of pride kind of uh, sit down and, and relax and, and enjoy it. Um, mm. <clears throat> and then we've got some other uh, situations with some various fitness. We're trying to get some some, some cool uh, fitness stuff. We had some great fitness. Uh, uh, workouts last year so we're looking to get in a few more this year uh, some with a skateboard we've got some belly dancing coming oh, in there neat. so it's going to be great um, <laughs> we've got something really cool that we're, we're looking forward to uh, to working with a bunch of local breweries around these Rattler rides where people can do some biking through a bunch of the local trails and end up at various brew local breweries around the oh, island cool. and so they can sit down there and enjoy some local entertainment so yeah. uh, uh We've got some uh, great stuff along along that stuff. Uh, there's also the the traditional Piers Alliance has the outspoken poetry slam this year. Mm. We're looking on having it on a Wednesday night, and that's always been a phenomenal situation. Just mm. so many creative minds coming in there and, and just putting their heart and soul in, into these uh, poetry slams, and just you can just feel the emotion. So really looking forward to all this stuff. Uh, so a, a lot of stuff. Uh, really pleased that how much. Uh, we're getting into here so that there's things we can celebrate and still serious issues to be discussed because um, probably the festival really needs to be about celebrating that we're still here and raising awareness around why we still have to be here. So mm -hmm. just uh, so many events that we're really pleased about it. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, we, we haven't finalized all the details and all the talent, but so, but if people want to uh, keep up with it, uh, we do have our website, pride PEI, Dot ca and then we've got a, a calendar of upcoming events so we've got uh, the pride festival listed on there from july 18th to 25th with uh, kind of our, our rough schedule right now and we're hoping to get uh, more informed information out very soon with uh, details as to uh, talent and uh, all sorts of stuff going on there oh and uh, <laughs> i just I, I completely forgot we're also uh working with the guild uh we're doing a special showing of pleasureville they i think it cool. uh the first uh showings of that was last weekend um it's a pretty momentous situation where it's one of the it's one of if not the first uh uh theater show uh by a non-binary uh canadian playwright about st and featuring a non-binary uh role so that's we're pretty mm -hmm. 
pretty pleased with that. So we're doing a, a special showing with that uh, on the Friday night. And cool. so, yeah, just uh, a whole lot of uh, cool things that we're really looking to experiment with um, to kind of particularly around the uh, uh, pandemic restrictions on size. So we're, we're letting some things be virtual where they can be virtual and some things be uh, in person. And and if that means we can only have 15, 20 people, we're going to make that a great event for those 15, 20 people. Yeah. Uh, and then we can basically, we'll have just a whole bunch of things for uh, different people. And, uh, and like I said earlier, uh, we're hoping to have as many of these spread it across the island. Like, mm-hmm. so when we're dealing with, I mentioned the Rattler Ride local breweries, we're trying to do stuff with, uh, and I'm going to mix up who's in what lo- areas, but like Lone Oak and Borden and Bogside and Montague. And uh, I think we have something, we're trying to arrange something with Moth Lane uh, further west. So um, we're trying to reach out to a whole bunch of different places to really uh, build up this. Uh, so again, to make sure that it's uh, an island festival and not just a Charlottetown Pride Festival. Mm-hmm. Wow, you've really given us the, the scoop here on Pride on the Pride Festival of this year. Uh, and hopefully, nothing, none of it changes. <laughs> and, and just one last question, too. Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit in your last response, but uh, just kind of to wrap everything up, you know, this is the twenty seventh annual. Pride Festival here on PEI, the first, of course, being in 1994. And, uh, you know, now going into that 27th year, having celebrated that big 25th anniversary two years ago, then moving into a whole digital space last year, and and now kind of coming out of that, um, what does Pride PEI feel the importance and the role of Pride Festival is here on PEI? Well, uh, that's... uh, I, I touched on it briefly, but the we see the Pride Festival, like I said, it's 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 the the spark almost needed to say, look at what we've achieved, and, and not just us on PEI, but uh, the two us LGBT com- community in in PEI in Canada in the world. Like, mm-hmm. look at us, look at what we've achieved, but also it's a rallying cry to say, yep. but there's still so much more, um, and, and that it's it gets harder. Uh, the more we, we achieve it, it can get harder for future victories um, because it uh, you get you get early things like uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, a lot of people could understand that. It's like, oh, well, why shouldn't people get to marry whoever they want? But mm-hmm. as you move into – as when you have to fight for each issue, it gets harder and harder each later issue because it's harder to explain what the issue is. So same-sex marriage, people understood – and that's largely supported, but then it gets moved into like right now they're still fighting against. Uh, there's still uh, uh, gay men are still uh, there's still a lot of bands around gay men donating blood, and, and people don't understand that as well. And yeah. then there's issues when it comes to adoptions, and it's still h- harder still for people to understand. Well, what it's difficult for everyone to adopt, isn't it? Because they don't necessarily understand it. It's the you start losing the uh, quippy sound bites that some of those. Uh, more those earlier issues had um and and as you lose those sound bites it gets harder and harder to fight yep. for these um but they're still very important to fight so the pride festival is really a it, it's like i said it's a celebration of what we've achieved but it's a rallying cry to say mm. there's still so much more we have to do um and it and it's it's the pride festival uh it's it's both a it's a 
it's acknowledgement to those who are in it, uh, who go to these marches, who are go to these events to say, this is me, um, I'm still here. But it's also a, a call out to uh, anyone who's questioning themselves to say, mm. I'm not alone. I can see other people yeah. who may be like me, or yeah. even if they're not exactly like me, they're being themselves. So maybe I can be myself too. Yes. Um, and, and that's so that's really what we want to do. I highly doubt that there's anyone on the island who's exactly like me. But if someone <laughs> sees if someone sees me um, and says, OK, if Andrea can be herself at her age, well, maybe I can be myself at that age. Um, yeah. and, and so uh, the, what you'll often see in a lot of communities when people are questioning themselves, uh, there's a, whether it's uh, about being. Uh, lesbian, gay, being transgender, being two-spirit, any of these things, a lot of people says, well, I didn't know it at a young age, so am I gay enough? Am I trans enough? Am I mm. uh, intersex enough? Am I two-spirit enough? And so the more we have these festivals, we can shout out to people, you are enough. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how, what your feelings are, that is enough. Um, mm-hmm. So and, and so the more we can get people to realize that they are enough, that it's there's no set of criteria that says you must meet you must be this tall to be on the 2slgbtqa <laughs> yeah, plus community yeah. <laughs> that you can so the the more we show people the different ways someone can be a member of the community yeah. the more people will realize that yes i i can find a home in that community as well mm-hmm. yeah and i think you're 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 kind of two-pronged piece around like the celebratory action and recognizing how far we've come, but then also bringing more people in and, and leading that charge forward to continue to address these ongoing issues, um, I think is, is really important. So thank you so much. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives with us. Uh, we do have one last very serious, very formal segment um, that we typically call our beer panel. Now, you know, it started out as a beer panel, uh, but really in the months since it's really taken on a life of its own. We've had people share uh, recipes for pies, their favorite restaurants, or, you know, just their favorite activity to do on a summer day. Uh, but, you know, as our special guest today, we'd like to ask you, what would you like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't drink, uh, not alcohol at least, um, but if anyone hasn't gone to Hive and Hollow and had one of their uh, crazy shakes, um, I, I have to think you're, you're sorely missing out. Um, yeah, Hive and Hollow is uh, pretty much my, one of my favorite places to go visit around town. So uh, if you haven't had one of their crazy shakes, like I said, yeah, you're, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I, rem- I remember seeing recently, they recently launched a strawberry shortcake one. It just looks delicious. Yeah, I haven't gotten to try that one yet, but uh, that's uh, that's very soon on my schedule, I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, my recommendation for today uh, is actually a wine. It's called uh, Côte des Roses, so it's a French rosé. Uh, I'll admit I bought it only because I liked what the bottle looked like. It was really pretty. Uh, the bottom of it looks like a rose, and I, I thought that's nice. Uh, even if the wine's not good, I'll have the bottle after. Uh, the wine did end up being good, uh, thankfully, but yeah, still got to keep the bottle and I'm very happy about that. Uh, Andrea, thank you again for joining us today and sharing so many interesting perspectives and so much information with us. Um, I know I speak to both of us when I say we've really learned a lot from you today and you know, you've made us think about things in a way that we wouldn't typically think of them. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that's all the time we have for today, folks. A big thank you again goes to Andrea for joining us and educating us on 2SLGBTQIA plus issues. As always, our opening and closing music is Gaspé Z by Shane Pendergast. Shane has a number of upcoming shows that are not to be missed, the first being the Island Shine Festival. That's Friday, July 9th, 2021, 7 to 10 p.m., and that's at shineonpei.com slash tickets. The next is the Cayley at the Benevolent Irish Society. That's Friday, July 16th, 2021, 8 to 10 p.m., and then finally, Shane Pendergast, Glennadale Concert Series, and that is Sunday, August 29th, 2021, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Those are some shows you folks do not want to miss. Thank you so very much to all our listeners for joining us on the podcast for the last 34 episodes as we close off our season one. We hope you enjoy a lovely summer ahead, and we'll see you again in the fall. This has been Dialogue.